Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here. I've got Kurt Mortensen with me, and we have plenty to talk about today regarding humor, the Olympics, and a great article about how to make yourself do things you don't want to do. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Kurt, have you ever had something you didn't want to do? I think everyone can relate to that moment when you don't feel like doing the things you know you need to do, and I think most people's answer is mm, every day. Every day. Every day. Yeah, it was interesting. I've totally hit a plateau at the gym. I just don't care when I go. <laughs> I, I will go through the motions and show up. But it, as long as we're all being honest here, it's nothing is being accomplished. And uh, my wife enrolled in it's a TRX. I don't know what that is. It's some intense class that you take together. And she went and just got the crap beat out of her at this class today. She went with her friends. So people holding her accountable and then somebody keeping the pace. When you really are serious about something and you get a coach or a trainer, it really is amazing how much faster you make progress if you're willing to take it that serious. If you just say, hey, I'm going to kind of dabble in this, that's what you get. And that's what I've been getting at the gym. And she probably burnt more calories uh, today than I have in the last three weeks. <laughs> well, that's the importance of a coach or a mentor, someone to walk you through it, someone who's been there, someone to yell at you, someone to hold you accountable. I mean, you look at the great basketball players, they had to have a coach because what you think you're doing right or wrong is very different than what you're doing right or wrong. And it's that occasional kick in the butt that's really important. And you hit it right on the head because if you're just going through the motions and figuring it out on yourself, it just never works out. That happened to me with racquetball. I don't need a coach. I was figuring it out myself. And I started doing it, and I thought I was pretty good. Then you play someone who's had a coach, then they kick your butt. <laughs> that's a whole mm -hmm. other story. Yeah. Well, we've got a great article by Harvard Business Review, which it is well published that we bring Harvard Business Review on periodically to make ourselves look smarter, and we need to do that. Because well, we need to contact them for a good commercial. We need, to, we need to start doing commercial breaks. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. They've got a huge endowment. They could pay some serious <laughs> money to the show. They got like the biggest endowment of all universities. Yeah, they're pretty big. Pretty big. We could actually afford to get some real microphones around here. <laughs> That's right. Just want a couple points. Not asking for a lot. Yeah, yeah. Come on, guys. Well, <laughs> good article, and we will post a link to it on the blog at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. And it's called How to Make Yourself Work When You Just Don't Want To. And there are a couple of reasons why we would avoid working or just say, hey, look, I don't want to do this. I'm not going to do it, right? And those three reasons are, number one, you are putting something off because you're afraid you will screw it up, right? Number two, you're putting something off because you don't feel like doing it. And number three, you're putting something off because it's hard, boring, or otherwise unpleasant. So he has a couple of solutions to these things. Are you ready? Go for it. Now, th this is pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. A lot of times when we're thinking about doing something, we're using what's called a promotion focus, which is I need to do this because things are going to be really great if I do, or I'm going to get that promotion, or I'm going to, uh, I'm going to make a lot of money, or I'm going to get lots of accolades from my peers, right? 
Well, that obviously doesn't work all the time. Sometimes we just don't care about those things. So the author suggested something that was a little bit counterintuitive, I thought, which was a prevention focus. And it's kind of a negative term. It's, okay, look, I've got to do this or XYZ is going to happen. I'm, I'm going to be in big trouble. In order to just maintain and hang on to what I've already got, I have to do this. And that was one of the things that he recommended. I thought that was kind of weird. So you're, that's what you're going to do if you're avoiding action because you're afraid you're going to screw something up. I think the point is screwing up is inaction, right? And isn't that true, Kurt? I mean, most employers would much rather see an employee who's active and trying to make things happen and screws up once in a while as opposed to one who just sits around waiting to be told what to do. Yeah, employees are always looking for that. They don't mind that occasional screw-up as long as you're moving forward and you're trying and going after that. And it seems like he's saying, for example, your exercise, you're saying to yourself, okay, I need to exercise or I'm going to die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe not that extreme, but it goes back to those two motivators. It's either inspiration, that hope for the future, or that desperation, that fear, which he mentioned, that fear that if you don't do it, this is going to happen. You're going to have a, a stroke. So you won't live that long. You won't be able to enjoy your retirement. Are great motivators. They're very temporary, but they do get you to take action. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Well, number two is you're putting off something because you don't feel like doing it. And the article is interesting because it has a picture of Mr. Spock from Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And I thought, why is Mr. Spock there? Well, the solution is make like Spock and ignore your feelings. They're getting in your way. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's awfully simplistic. And then my Vulcan mind took over. And I thought, you know, that's true. You really have to just ignore your feelings in some cases and I'll read a quick excerpt from the article. Imagine that you've told yourself, okay, I don't want to do this because I don't feel like doing it. And the article says, think about that for a minute because it's really important. Somewhere along the way, we've all bought into the idea without consciously realizing it, that to be motivated and effective, we need to feel like we want to take action. We need to be eager to do so. I really don't know why we believe this because it's 100% nonsense. Yes, on some level, you need to be committed to what you're doing. You need to want to see the project finished or get healthier or get an earlier start to your day. But you don't need to feel like doing it. In fact, many of the most prolific artists, writers, and innovators have become so in part because of their reliance on work routines that forced them to put in a certain number of hours a day, no matter how uninspired or in many instances hungover they might have <laughs> felt. And so I think it's very true. You've got to pull the Mr. Spock and you go, well, look, I don't have time for, for feeling a certain way right now. This is a necessary task. you got to go Vulcan on this thing. What do you think about that? Well, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And, of course, it is a simplistic view. We talked a while back that our thoughts control our emotions and our emotions control our actions. And the reverse is true, too. A lot of times, if we reverse that, our actions control our emotions and our feelings, which can control our thoughts. So a lot of times, just doing it, forcing ourselves to do it, will change our attitudes, our thoughts, and our feelings to the point to where even though we're doing it for the wrong reason, we start doing it, we get in the right mindset, and eventually we get it done. Doing something out of desperation is better than not doing it at all. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we think that we have to be all motivated all the time, and I think biology is against us there. So, well, let's put it to you this way, listeners. How many of you have gone to the dentist out of inspiration? Right? <laughs> if you go out of fear, if you go out of desperation, if you go out of pain, that's better than not going at all. Yep. Yep, exactly, exactly. Well, are you ready for reason number three? 
Give it to me. I think this is fantastic. Okay. You're putting something off because it's hard, boring, or otherwise unpleasant. The solution is to use if-then planning. And what the guy means is you have to look at your day, look at your week, your month, and look at various things that may happen. And you're going to go, okay, what will I do in advance? Make the decision in advance. Because when you have to make the decision right on the spot to do something that is hard, boring, or otherwise unpleasant, you're going to avoid it every time. You're going to figure out a way to not do it. But if you've decided in advance what you're going to do, then it's going to work out well for you. And I've noticed that uh, when it comes to eating right, especially, right? If you wait till lunchtime to decide what to eat, you're trying to quote-unquote eat healthy, you're dead. You might last a couple of days. But if you plan out your whole week and you know exactly what you're going to do at every meal, there's no decision to be made. You already did it. What do you think about that? I, there's a lot of truth to that. If you decide before you go to bed that you're going to work out versus in the morning decide if you're going to work out, those are two very different things. And, but you've made that decision that it's a done deal and you do it ahead of time and reinforce that with your thoughts it makes a big difference. Yeah. There you go, listeners. We'll post a link to this article in the blog so that you can look and glean wisdom from Harvard Business Review's words of wisdom and become just as smart as we are for having <laughs> read something that's Ivy League. There you go. And I've offended our Ivy League listeners. Check that. <laughs> oh, yeah, check to put them on the list. We've offended them now. We're, We're just making our way right down that list. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're next, whoever you are. <laughs> we, uh, we wanted to talk about humor today because humor is such a powerful way to persuade other people. I mean, it can instantly lower somebody's guard. I think that when somebody laughs at your presentation, they agree with what you said, not you know, <laughs> they're laughing at you because you're an idiot. But it, it implies that they agree with you and that things are going well. And the brain is awash with positive endorphins. What do you think, Kurt? What does humor do to the brain? And how can we as persuaders use it without looking fake? Obviously, we have to stay within ourselves to a degree there. Well, I'd spent a lot of time researching humor and persuasion. And there is a direct correlation between your ability to get someone to smile, to get them to laugh, and your ability to open them up and influence them. And the reason we're talking about this and thinking about this, if you go to the Olympics, the opening ceremonies, there was a big mistake. One of the five rings didn't work. It was this big light display. Everyone was talking about the big mistake, the big mistake. Russia tried to cover it up. Their own people didn't know because they put in a different video. But during the closing ceremonies, if you saw it, they had these people. It wasn't light this time, but it was people forming circles. There's one circle, two circle, four circles. And the fifth one didn't circle up. They were making fun <laughs> of themselves. And eventually it became a circle. And that just opened people up. That's what everyone's talking about. There was a, a connection there. And if you have the ability to make fun of yourself, self-deprecating humor, that's huge. Because now you're part of them. You're not somebody different. You're not uh, up on this higher level. You can make fun of yourself. That connects you with people. When you can use humor the right way, it's amazing what the studies show time and time again. It's a powerful tool in creating rapport. It helps you gain attention. It creates a positive environment. You become more memorable. People like you more. That's just how it is. The appropriate use of humor increases trust among your audience. And we know that humor connects you with your audience and increases their attention to you. It works. Now, you have to be cautious here. The rule is they're either going to laugh with you or feel sorry for you, okay? Mm -hmm. Because if your joke doesn't work, you might get a courtesy laugh, but it's going to have the opposite effect. 
And I love what John Clee said. He says, if I can get you to laugh with me, you like me better, which makes you more open to my ideas. And if I can persuade you to laugh at the, a particular moment, by laughing at it, you acknowledge its truth. There's something about humor that there's a connection. It opens the door to persuasion. And there's something powerful about that that really makes a big difference. So the key factor here, you really have to understand how this works, is that if you're going to use humor or story or joke, so this probably happened to you and all the listeners. You heard this great joke and you laughed. And then you were excited to tell somebody, you told somebody, and what happened? I butchered it. I totally killed the joke. <laughs> so you have to practice. It's all about the timing. It's all about the delivery. All these things come into play. When you get someone to laugh, to smile, to even smile on the inside, it makes a huge difference. Not only is there an increase in trust, an increase in likability, but a lot of times it distracts the listener from thinking about other things because they're listening, they're more engaged, and it makes a big difference in what you're able to do. Yeah, so, definitely. And another key factor here, too, is if you don't think you're funny, that's okay. Borrow humor. You can get comics. You can get YouTube clips. You can insert these in your PowerPoint presentations. You can have somebody else make them laugh or smile. It still works. You still get the persuasion points. Good call. Good call. I remember... Well, I don't remember too well, but I've seen this video clip many times over uh, Ronald Reagan when he was running for president, and he knew that his opponent was going to attack him on age and how old he was. There had been these rumors going around, hey, this guy's going to keel over if he gets into the into office. He's too old. And that famous line about how well they question him on his age, he said, oh, I'm not going to let my or hold my opponents in experience against him. And, and he just spun it off so well. And nobody ever really bothered about it again. It was a fantastic deflection. So I think that if we can take away something from humor, it's is there an inherent weakness that, that may be considered obvious? Maybe it's an objection you're hearing over and over again. Maybe it's a common perception about your company or your product. How can you use self-deprecating humor and, and get rid of that up front? Because when people see that, hey, you're comfortable with it, you own it, it matters that much less to them. And that's right on. And that's a clip I show when I'm teaching persuasive presentations on how to handle a heckler because humor is a great way to do that. Me people heckle. It's basically the same reason we tease growing up. We're looking for a reaction. We're looking for someone to get mad, to throw another zinger back at us. But Ronald Reagan just handled it, smiled, used humor, and it really diffuses that situation to be able to use humor, especially in a heckling situation or a situation where you're blowing it. You know, I've fallen off the stage before. I've had my fly down before. I've had a drink of water and I've sprayed the audience before. And it's how you handle those things where your audience will either connect with you or disconnect from you. And it's important you handle those the right way because they're looking. They're kind of excited when somebody heckles you or you do something. How are they going to handle it? What are they going to say? What are they going to do? Because if you handle it the wrong way, it's going to have the opposite reaction. I remember talking to a college student in one of my classes that was telling about this college professor. He was heckling her and throwing some zingers at her and and she just launched back at him. He's like, whoa, 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 don't have a cow. All right, there's a moment <laughs> of truth. And she says, and we won't name names, I don't have a cow. I'm a full PhD. I'm a full professor, and I will always be smarter than you. Woo! Oh, wow. Yeah, now it might have made her feel better, but now she's lost all her credibility. Everyone's always going to think about this experience. When you're in front of a group and someone throws a zinger at you, you got to have to be in control. You have to smile, use humor. It's not getting to you. It makes a big difference in your ability to connect with your audience. 
Well, good points, Kurt. Anything else we should be aware of on humor before we get into the blunder and our persuasion ninja for the week? Well, remember that dull or ineffective humor is not only ineffective, but it's irritating. You have to understand your audience. You have to understand human factors. For example, time of day is going to matter. People laugh more in the afternoon and the morning. The seating, the size of the audience, do they know each other, the location, the purpose of the meeting, temperature, lighting, that has an effect. You have to understand we can use more humor. The jokes, it could be a story, an embarrassing moment, exaggeration, a comment. But you have to ask yourself, do you have an embarrassing moment or a funny experience? And practice telling it, the stories, the jokes, using the YouTube videos. Everyone can use this. When you add humor, people like you more, it increases your trust, and they are easier to persuade. That's right. It just has to be sincere. It has to be something that you can sell that's believable about you so it doesn't fall flat, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, we've got some ninjas and some persuasion blunders. Cue the sounds. There's the double sound. Double sound, first time ever in the history of the show. <laughs> yeah, write this down in your journal, everybody. Yeah, tell everyone you know. Yep, tell them all. So these are both coming from the same source because we saw it over and over again. Kurt, it was your idea. Tell us about these ninjas and these uh, Homer Simpson wannabes that you observed recently. Well, I'm just going to say the Olympians. We saw Olympians that were great ninjas. They connected with the reporters. They had great eye contact. They didn't have vocal fillers. They were fun. They were smiling. They were excited. That means uh, endorsement, millions of dollars because they're likable. People relate to them. They think about them in the Olympics and the gold medal or silver medal or bronze medal that they won versus the blunder is going to be those that didn't care. They didn't connect with the audience, didn't have eye contact. They were talking only about them and what they did and what went wrong and all the different things. And there's such a big difference between those that are going to get those endorsements, the ninjas that knew how to work the camera, work the people, were fun to talk to, and people wanted to hear about them versus those that, you could tell they didn't care by their demeanor, the way they were dressed, piercings, whatever it is, things that maybe detract from them and their message and their ability to connect with the audience. So we saw both. If you watched any part of the Olympics, any of those interviews, you saw some Olympians that everyone wanted to talk to, and you saw some Olympians that nobody really wanted to talk to, even though they both won medals. And now the big difference is going to be the endorsements and how much money they make after the Olympics. That's true. Do you remember the uh, the figure skater Gracie Gold for the United States? Was she the one with the facial expression? Uh, no, no. <laughs> oh, okay, I just remember the one. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. But at least I don't think it was. But my point is, well, first of all, could there be a more marketable and a better name for a women's figure skater? Yeah, than I, I want to see the actual birth certificate on that one because that's too good to be for that. That just come on, Gracie Gold. But hey, let's just give her credit and assume that that's the real name. But she had such a great smile, great persona, smiled, gave great interviews. I mean, she's going to be the face of figure skating for the next eight years because of it, or at least one of the faces for it. And Longer than that, she's probably going to be the one of the announcers here in the next 20 years, probably all the way through. Yeah, yeah, versus some of these other people that, like you said, they came across on camera like a complete Neanderthal. You were wondering, did you smoke weed before the interview, or is that where you just can't wait to go? And <laughs> and it's that's the facts of life. You can send in the hate mail about stereotyping, but we all know sponsors are looking for a certain kind of quality. I think we talked about this once before, you know, when people do certain things, 
especially athletes in their private lives. It impacts the bottom line. You know, Tiger Woods, he's back more or less now, but he really got killed on sponsorships there for a while. And uh, many of these Olympians, they understood that this wasn't just about them getting a medal and competing and being the best of what they're doing, but potentially setting themselves up for life financially. And others just didn't get it. And they're the uh, Homer Simpson special for this episode. Yeah, they didn't get it at all. They didn't care. They didn't think about it or they were not trained. But it makes a huge difference. Okay, so you blew it. We saw this with a lot of the skiers and snowboards. All oh, the snow was bad and this was that. You know, that might be true, but nobody wants to hear that. They want to say, okay, you know, you gave it your best shot. You're a good person. You start blaming people and pointing fingers and using profanity. Done. Gone. Nobody likes that, and that doesn't connect with anyone. Yeah, and it's funny. What came first, the chicken or the egg? We look at Sean White, the Olympian who took snowboarding by storm, and you know, didn't get any medals this time around. But he's an Olympian and he's a business person. You could tell his interview that, oh, the pipe just stunk. He said, yeah, tough conditions out here today, but I gave it everything I had. And, you know, it's it's on me to, to perform. And you know, everybody loved him. He didn't even win a medal and everybody loved it and, uh, because he just knew how to unfortunately lose gracefully in this instance. But it's not going to impact him business-wise. He's still going to be seen as kingpin of snowboarding. That's a great example because you know inside he was mad. He was yeah. angry. He wanted to point fingers, but he was professional enough to put his emotions aside and be a professional. Yeah, basically his message was, even in tough conditions, it's on us to get out there. Everybody's on the same snow. I remember him saying that. Not like I had a, a tougher pipe than anybody else's. So good stuff. I do like seeing how high-profile athletes interact with the media because the persuasion, it's on. It's, and it's something that a lot of them aren't trained in. So the ones who know how to come across it naturally or got lucky enough to have somebody coach them are going to do really well. Or listen to the podcast. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you that didn't get any endorsements and you don't have any money, go ahead and listen to the podcast because last I checked, we don't charge anything for the podcast. Yeah, that's a good price. Get it out there. Share it with your friends. That's what we like. And speaking of more shameless plugs, tell your friends. We're having a great time doing the show. We'd love to keep doing the show and getting lots of downloads, lots of people are enjoying it, but heck, we can always use more. And if you want your input on the show, if you have questions or comments or would like to insult us, or if you want to add somebody else to the list of people we have yet to insult, you can email us at maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com, and we would love to hear from you. Yeah, we might even interview about your blunder of the week, your persuasion blunder. Yeah, we'd love to hear about your blunders. If you've seen anything or if you unfortunately were the subject of a blunder or if you think that you're a ninja i mean you would have to approach that delicately we've we've <laughs> talked about walking the line of a confidence and arrogance before you know see if you can ninja your way in and and self-promote yourself into that segment of the show that would be great and, and we'll give out some great bonuses you can find us some persuasion ninjas out there i think we should give some things away i think we should we have lots of stuff to give away so yeah email us at maximize at gmail.com and tell your friends refer them to the blog refer them to itunes all those many places that, that you can find the show so we're gonna hang it up for the day kurt anything else in closing nope just go out there and persuade with power and make the world a better place thanks a lot see ya 